the gospel. Starting in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 7 through 19. Of this gospel, I become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me through the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its very variety might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to the eternal purpose that he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart or my sufferings for you. They are for your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Praise you, God. You may be seated. Well, if you're wondering, um, this is not Steve's break after Easter. He's actually preaching at our South Scottsdale campus this morning. So um, uh, he is, he's putting in his time, just so you know. But, you know, today in worship, uh, as in most Sundays, we started with, uh, within the service, we did the Apostles' Creed. And like I said, most Sundays we do the Apostles' Creed. And what is awesome to think about is that the church throughout the globe is saying that same Apostles' Creed as they gather. The question is, why? Why do we do it? Is it just by rote? So I'm curious, when you get up in the morning and you start brushing your teeth, are you thinking, you know what, I'm waging a war against cavities and having fresh breath and I'm going to save a lot of money here. That's, or are you just happy you got up and made it out of bed? I mean, let's face it. Or when you put your seatbelt on, are you saying, you know what, I'm lowering the death rate on auto accidents, I'm saving on my auto insurance, and I'm saving, I'm going to make money for that trip I had planned in the summer? Or do you just put your seatbelt on? Because it's what you do. Well, there are a lot of things that we can end up doing by routine, which might be great things, but it's important sometimes to stop and say, why do we do what we do? And we are beginning a brand new series today on the Apostles' Creed. Apparently, my role on staff, you've noticed, is to do the first sermon in any series that comes up. It's just like, it's what I get. It's what I get, but that's okay. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all mercies, that you desire for us to know you and to know your love. And we pray this day as we come before your word, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together, we accept it on your sight. We pray in your son's name. Amen. The Apostles' Creed is one of the greatest documents of faith and worship they have together. But it's also something that, again, that we can fall in the trap of just doing by rote, not even think about what it means. And chances are, if you grew up in the church, you probably memorized the Apostles' Creed, maybe in Sunday school or in the new members' class. In fact, we just received a couple weeks ago seven high schoolers who became members of Mountain View and they memorized eight different, well, they were supposed to memorize eight different scriptures, but they all memorized the Apostles' Creed. It's just, it's what we do, right? And if I were to ask you the question, what's the baseline that someone becoming a Christian needs to know? What would you say? You'd probably say, well, the Apostles' Creed, maybe the Lord's Prayer, 
Um, we might throw in Psalm 23, the, uh, John 3, 16 and 17. There's some things that are kind of, we call them baseline things. Well, the Apostles' Creed was formulated really for that very purpose over time as the church sought to crystallize what the foundations, what the basics of the faith were as new believers are coming into this thing called the church in the first, second, third, fourth century. This idea of a creed was a part of their faith. In fact, some would say that in the Old Testament, maybe the Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, was the creed of the Old Testament, which said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was a, a verse, it said, that they were told to teach all other children so that all the children of Israel would know that the Lord our God is one. And if you go through the New Testament, you might see some things that we think were maybe fragments of creeds that are within the work of Scripture. Uh, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, says this. He's talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be owned uh, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he made himself in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can hear that creed kind of feeling there. It's stating, who is Jesus? Especially as you're thinking of new believers, this church in Philippi that Paul is reaching out to. Another place where Paul has done what we think maybe became a creed for the early church is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And listen to it as if you were saying a creedal statement of this is what I believe. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." You can hear that creedal kind of feel of this is who Jesus is. This is what God has done in Christ. So both of these were powerful statements used in the early church in the first couple of centuries. Statements of who Jesus was. Now, before we jump into the Apostles' Creed, I want to clarify something. And, that, and this is up for debate, although I'm going to say it a little strongly. Uh, there's a myth that says that the Apostles' Creed was written by the Apostles that they got together after Pentecost, and because they're going to be scattered across, they all got together and said, let's make sure we know what we're talking about, and that each one of them took a phrase, and together it makes the Apostles' Creed. That's a really good story. Um, but it's been, it's been, well, other scholars just have no over time, okay? The, uh, but what we know, the reason it's called the Apostles' Creed is because it reflects the teaching of the apostles and the doctrines of the early church. 
but the other makes a much better movie. It just, you know, it, it would just be, you know, you could see it going. So, um, uh, so the first century church began to reach out with evangelism. And as they did so, they encountered two different groups of people. First, there were the Jews who were responding to the gospel. And when they responded to Jesus Christ, it was just a fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. And so it wasn't a matter of saying, let us tell you about God. It was, this is Jesus Christ. And it was an affirmation, in essence, a, a consummation for them. And so when they were baptized, they were baptized immediately into the church. But the second group of people were the Gentiles. Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a Jew. But what that meant was that they were hearing about Jesus Christ, hearing what God had done in his son, but they didn't have the background. They didn't have the understanding of what God had been doing through the children of Israel all this time to bring about this work found in the Messiah. So when that group, a person within that group, came to know Christ, they had to go through the new member class, what we would call a catechism, to instruct them on who is God and what has God done. And that catechism would last from one to three years so they had full understanding of the faith. Uh, I'm just curious. Now, I know I don't want to make fun of our kids because I don't. Well, if you got through the new member class here, you got two hours on a Saturday. Okay. If you went through the high school new member class, you did eight weeks. Who, growing up, did more than a year as a new, in a new member class? Okay, those are the real members, right? Okay, you put the time in. You put the time in. It wasn't just, though, to teach them faith. It was also because this was a persecuted church. And they needed to make sure, sounds strange, they needed to make sure that people weren't coming in and infiltrating the church in order to put it at risk. And so they, they put them through the ringer. But what it produced were these incredible disciples who grew the church. So as the church grew during the first two or three centuries, what also happened at that time was heresies began to arise. Heresies is taking what was the truth of the gospel and changing it, uh, deceiving people or just arguing the fact. Uh, example, one of the heresies that arose was the heresy of Gnosticism. And in short, Gnosticism says that anything flesh is evil, therefore Jesus couldn't have been in the fleshly body. That couldn't have been the Son of God. Uh, another heresy was by Marcion. And Marcion said that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of God and this God the Father was just sort of an idea, almost like a demigod, and so they couldn't be the same. And so the church had to wrestle with these heresies that arose. And as a result, the church fathers, the apostles, then began to gather together to crystallize the faith. The Apostles' Creed was formulated over time, but ultimately the form that it took really was one of a baptismal shape. From Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you know it well, it says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It was an understanding of Father and Son and Holy Spirit that became the foundation for the Apostles' Creed. But it wasn't until the 9th century, a lot of work was done in the 2nd century, 3rd century, Tertullian, different church fathers, but it wasn't really until the 9th century when Charlemagne, who was ruler, the Roman, Holy Roman Empire, emperor, ruling over all of Europe and the Roman Empire, said to the church, we need to make sure things are consistent. So it was Charlemagne who really brought together with the church fathers the Apostles' Creed into the basic form that we have it today. 
So as we, we're going to start to look at the Apostles' Creed here, and each week, one of the pastors, Bruce, Steve, Kirk, Lynn, uh, I think we're going to hear from Clint also, maybe Jackie, is going to take a segment of the Apostles' Creed. But as we start today, we're going to run into the same problem we have on Easter when we come to Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday, that you want to get ahead. You go, wait, I know, I want to get to Easter. And so we're going to start today with just four words, I believe in God. And we're going to stop. And there are things we're not going to talk about today, but that's someone else's job if we get to it. So just be patient as we go along. So the first phrase, I believe in God. Here's what I want us to understand. Our faith is an individual first. Now, that can kind of go against, well, let's try it this way. You've all been summoned to court, to a courthouse as witnesses. You sit in the gallery to start with, and the bailiff stands up and says, y'all promise to tell the truth? Doesn't happen that way, right? Each person has to come up and individually swear, I swear to tell the truth. We do not say at the beginning of the creed, we believe. We say what? I believe. I believe. And so there's this tension between the, the beautiful nature of being a part of the corporate body of Christ, but individually being accountable to God the Father. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 9, excuse me, Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Upon putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you, we, I, become a part of the body of Christ, part of the church. And it's as the church that we get to live out our faith, encouraging one another, ministering together, being a witness to the world of God's grace. But my faith isn't founded on your faith. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you a Christian, okay, automatically. God's call is upon each one of us individually. He died for me, for you. It is my sin is which I must repent for. It's a new life given to me and to you. So when we say the Apostles' Creed, again, it's, it's a beautiful and deeply meaningful that we can stand together as the body of Christ with the church universal and say what we believe. But we must first affirm it as individuals as we say yes to God. Professing I means that you, we, know that this ultimately is about a relationship. It's about each of us in God who has made himself known. God is not far off and distant. God has made himself known. And he has created the opportunity for us to be in relationship with him. I believe, not only is it individual, but second, your faith. Get a slide here. Your faith is one of surrender. There we go. Faith is one of surrender. So, so what do you believe in? Do you believe in UFOs? Wait, don't raise your hands. I don't know that I want to know that, okay? Okay. Uh, is it possible to believe in democracy and not vote? Is it possible to believe in something and don't take an action towards it? So it's possible to potentially have an, an intellectual faith 
But that's not what the word believe means here in the context. In the Greek, the word means more of I am believing in. It's a constant believing, a full commitment with trust in you. I like the idea of saying it's full-bodied belief. Now, if you say to a chair, can that chair hold me? Belief is when you sit in the chair and say, yes, I will believe it can. Now, this next illustration, Steve said, oh, I used that once before, but I'm older than Steve, so I think I had it before him. Uh, so if, if you know this, hang in, but it's just so good. So um, I've never had a chance or just never taken the time to go to the Niagara Falls. Um, it seems like it's a place to be. It's amazing. Uh, I understand that when you stand next to the rail, it's actually very terrifying. It's just the water rushing over and everything else. Um, on June 30th, 1859, French tightrope walker, acrobat, Monsieur Charles Blondin said that he would walk across tightrope Niagara Falls. He took a 1,300-foot rope. They used a cable to burn it, stretched it across, and 1,300 feet, two inches wide, and he walked across tightrope Niagara Falls. Not like, you know, people today, they got security harnesses and everything else. Nope, just him. That's right, Mary, it's real walking across, okay? Just him walking across. In fact, on his first time across, he stopped lowered a rope down to the maid of the mist, you know, the boat that goes through. They pulled up a bottle of wine. He had a glass of wine, lowered it back down, and then finished the trip. Now, there were about 2,500 people, apparently, on both sides, Canadian and American side, watching in amazement. Uh, people were amazed. They were terrified. Uh, they cheered. Uh, but there was one person who lived in Niagara Falls who said, nope, it's a hoax. He didn't do it. They just denied. So, where was the belief with Blondin? Uh, was it in those who gathered and thought, oh, I think you can do it? Was it those who just showed up for entertainment? Did they believe he could do it? Well, on su subsequent trips across, Blondin went across almost uh, over 30 times. At one point, he went across in a wheelbarrow. At one point, he took with him a little pot-bellied stove, created an omelet, lowered it down to someone who made of the mist. They ate it back up and so all these different things. Till finally one time, he says to his manager, whose name was Harry Colkerd, he says, Harry, I want you to climb upon my back and we're going to walk across. So the question is, was Harry's faith an intellectual faith? <laughs> or was it a real faith? Did he believe? Now, he'd seen it. He'd seen it 30 times. But we're willing to climb on his back. So this is what it means to say, God, I want to put my faith in you. I want to trust you. Now, it's interesting. This is apparently an exact quote of what Blondin said to Harry before the cross. And it interesting. He says, look up, Harry. <laughs> First thing, don't look down. Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. That's his last name. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both go down to our death. Isn't that kind of what God says to us when it comes to believing in him? Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To believe, to say I believe, is to set our hearts and minds on Christ and to find our lives in him. And it's not just an intellectual faith. Yes, we are to love God with our minds, all we are, but faith is one of surrender, of giving God full control and putting our lives into his hands. It is saying our life is found in you. Look again at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Belief is surrendering ourselves fully to God and finding our lives in him. I believe in God. So one could ask that our faith is in one God. So one could ask, who is your God? Or, or what is your God? There are many things we can prop up and think that we're going to worship. But when we say, I believe in God, we're saying a very definitive statement. Um, the remainder of the creed, as we go through, is going to define who this God is. Um, but we need to deal with a couple things before we get there. One who professes the creed is making an exclusive claim to who God is and who God is not. Now, God revealed his name to Moses in the desert when he says the word that we understand is Yahweh, which would be translated to say, I am who I am and will be. For God to reveal his name to Moses, God was saying, Moses, I want you to know me. You meet a stranger and you say, hey, I'm Drew, what's your name? None of your business. No, hopefully they share their name and a relationship begins. A conversation begins. So God shares his name with Moses saying, Moses, I want to be in relationship with you. And then during the giving of the Ten Commandments, God reveals his nature to Moses. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. God said, Moses, I want you not only to know my name, but I want you to know my nature, who I am, and what my desire is for my people. God was not far off. He was not unknowable. In fact, he was a God who was revealing himself and making himself known. When we move into the New Testament, we obviously see that God has made himself known fully in Jesus Christ. The passage you read out of Colossians said the fullness of God was in him. And then we see God revealed through the Holy Spirit. And so we see the fullness of God in the Trinity, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now the challenge is that the Trinity might be one of the hardest doctrines there is to grapple with. And fortunately that, again, it's someone else's sermon down the road. <laughs> you know, hey, they said do the first one. But we need to know that the Trinity was at the heart, again, of many heresies as people grappled. Because how is this? Is it God three, three gods, three in one, one substance, three persons? 
it's, it's a hard one to wrestle with. But one of the things we need to know is that Jesus himself said, when he said, go and baptize them, not in the names of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus himself begins to lay out the Trinity. And so when we say, I believe in God, we are rejecting pantheism. Pantheism, which is the belief that God is the combined energy forces of the universe that is involved in all things. We're rejecting polytheism, which believes that there are many different gods. These are two beliefs that, that are very much alive today in the world. They aren't just ancient beliefs. They're very much alive in the world today. And our Christian faith, as we profess our creeds and our faith, we're saying that God is one God as opposed to others. So today, as we take away this understanding of the creed, what we're saying in a world of relativism, in a world of your truth, my truth, in a world of anything goes, we're saying, no, I believe in God. And it's me. And I'm all in to the God who has made himself known. Friends, that's great news to know that the creator of the universe is the one who desires a relationship with each one of us. And that relationship can be had today when we say, Lord, I believe. I will follow you. I'll get on your back. Let's go across that tightrope. I'm ready for the adventure. Would you pray with me? Father, it is overwhelming for us to think that the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, has made himself known. But we thank you, Father, that you have done that very thing. And Lord, there are so many things that will push for our attention, for our belief, for our lives. But Lord, may we find our life solely in you as our Lord and our God. And so, Lord, we believe that you are God. We pray in your son's name. Amen.